back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Deku Ezeka Midoriya, Alex Kessler, going plus ultra on all magic formats with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, man? How you doing? Are we even keeping track anymore of how long we've done this show for? I was just as you were saying it just now, thinking about the fact that it's uh, it's the fall of 2020, and mm-hmm. I think there's a decent chance we started doing this show together maybe in the fall of 2014, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Do we pass six years and not even notice? Did, did that happen? Uh, I think it's November is when you did the full, full jump on. I did just look the other day because um, I was on uh cdh brazil's live stream and then they recorded like an interview that they're going to release at some point but one of the questions they asked was like uh how did i get into content creation that whole kind of story and going over the like in that first five weeks and if you add it ends up that andrew brown joined it was his first episode was the week after you're you're officially joining the podcast but we had jules jules robbins who now is the the color red of all of magic he worked at which is the coast (laughs) eugene wang who won uh multiple gps uh Glenn, who now runs basically the commander team for Wizards on Commander Products, <laughs> uh, and Andrew Brown, who's on the play design team at Wizards, and you. That was like our five guests. And it's pretty good, like a pretty good <laughs> first five, like, yeah. like, like a really high success rate. You didn't have any like schlubs, you know, nobody, nobody in there was like really a schmo. It was a weird run, but here we are five years later. It's dope. Um, today we are talking about deck building uh, and, and, and kind of the, the basis for deck building. A few weeks ago, you asked me a question on like, where like you were wondering how I like to build decks compared to your method. We were in the middle of building our like Highlander gauntlet online arena wheels. And just the fact that I was like pumped out three wheels in a weekend. And like, it takes you a month to figure out one deck um, and kind of how commander works. And we're doing the boxing league right now. So that's related to that as well. Um, and then we're also going to talk about kind of in, in relation to that uh, historic in the metagame and historic right now, now that um, Omnath is, is no longer around and Burning Tree Emissary is back, etc., etc. And before I do that, I do want to, because I'm going to take this mask and maybe this wig off in a second, but first the mask Solid. is hot yep. in here. Uh, I'm wearing costume every day this month. Today I am Deku from the show My Hero Academia. Check it out, Instagram, at Kess underscore Wiley. You can see everyone I did. I've pr- sworn to do a costume every day. Uh, you will... By the time you see this, I will have also already have dressed as an Among Us astronaut and a few other things this week. So definitely go look at that and follow me on Instagram, I guess. Uh, and now I'm going to take this mask you've off. Done a, you've done like a really good job with it. I feel like I it's it's been sweet to see really, really good costumes, like full commitment. Definitely a lot more work than I thought. Like I would not be willing to do the level of work you're doing for the pure sake of fun. You're doing it purely for like, yeah, there's just no, for funsies. There's no, there's no monetary gain. There's no value to, to it. Hopefully it's joy on the internet. I mean, the one thing that's been really encouraging is that people have just been like really into it throughout this yeah. process. Hopefully they, you guys enjoy it. Hopefully like, I, like there's been a lot of bad on the internet that just in general over the last three months from the walking dead thing to now People are being super racist about uh, the like promo art that came out and like get those guys out of the community because that's a whole mess. And uh, and then add, add real world stuff like politics and, and the election and COVID and everything. And just the fact that I'm like hopefully making people enjoy their life a little bit better by dressing up as a ridiculous character for 31 days straight <laughs> is good. Hopefully people like that. So let me know if you think it's cool. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it again, but uh, maybe next year we can convince Ben. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't um, know. That sounds like a little too much fun for my personality. Yeah, you're not. You're not a fun person. You're a curmudgeon. I'm totally fun. You're are you a curmudgeon. Kidding? Uh, my dad actually today was like, two of my best friends are curmudgeons. I don't know why. Am I a curmudgeon? I was like, no, no, no. I'm like this too. All of my friends are curmudgeons, and I'm the bright light of fun that is in their lives. I'm, if your dad's a curmudgeon, I'm a curmudgeon. If your dad's fun, I'm fun. I, I feel like I, I have. I have so many more similarities to the way your dad does things that like. I feel like that's so much more my style, my style. If your dad's fun, I'm totally fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're on, on my, on my friend scale, you're more on the fun side. <laughs> you're curmudgeon with your hobbies. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I am, but like, you know, what's actually hilarious to me. You would, this, this is gonna make you die laughing. I didn't tell you this yet. Got to Seattle. My brother was like, yeah, you know, Sarah and I love to play games. We got this cool game wingspan. Have you heard of it? And I was like, wingspan. Yes. One of the designers at my company is Michael Grothy is a huge fan of Wingspan. And I remember when we were at Gen Con, he was excitedly buying it. And I was like a bird watching game nerd. And like, <laughs> they were like, this game's the best. You should learn it. I still haven't learned it. Uh, they based they based the secret layer on that game. Yeah, that's the ornith or, or, ornicologist or whatever the ortho yeah. whatever. I'm never going to say that word ever correctly People in my life. People love that game. Um, love that game. And they, that's where you can like that's where my like really cool Birds of Paradise is from. And I have that Baleful Strix that's really pretty. Uh, yeah. So so Wingspan, it's fun. Uh, all right. So today's episode. Now that I've taken off the mask and I can feel my face. Uh, <laughs> uh, but wear a mask outside, everybody. Um, deck building. So you you are someone who has been you know participating in this league i guess that's where we can kind of start on the commander league where we have all started with a box built these decks based on those boxes what was i saying oh right okay so so for the last for the last two weeks three weeks we've been doing this commander box sealed league and and and, and ostensibly it's a sealed version of commander right where you open up 36 packs we've explained this on the podcast now a few times so i apologize for people that have heard this already you open 36 packs uh, and you build a commander deck out of them. And then every week you had six packs from a different set, slowly building it better, better in deck. I have Tazri built. You started with um, the black, green, blue. Brockus, the this Brockus. dude right here. Um, uh, mutate creature that you punched me in the face for 22 damage last night and murdered me, but uh, on stream. Um, but the, uh, uh, the, the gist of it is, you know, it, 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 it does kind of offer some more deck building style limited. And it r- reminded me that like if, over the summer, we invented that, on, online arena version of Gaunt, Highlander Gauntlet that we play in paper just to be able to play magic during quarantine. And like, I was able to pump out decks so much quicker and from, from what you were doing and you were wondering like, what is the deck building process? How do we do that? And there was something I wanted to talk about then there wasn't really a moment to it. And I realized today we had an opening. Uh, and at the same time, the entire format of, of, uh, uh, historic, uh, has kind of been, popped into the air so it's floating like, ex- it's like totally wild and there's opportunity and you can brew and yeah it's it's it, i think i agree with you totally i think talking about both things is a really cool thing my first comment on that is that i want to ask you so i think you're sort of savant like in your ability to build decks i actually think you don't give yourself I, what you are able to do is not normal because i i'm i'm not like a, the fastest deck builder but i'm not a slow deck builder you being able to build like four to five decks in the matter of like a few hours it seems like you just like rifle through them and they're like kind of cohesive and they're kind of like intentional. Um, I, is it that you do you just use like search functions and you just like lock in on it and you don't divert your attention? You're able to just kind of go from zero to 100 cards without losing focus. I mean, I mean, maybe I mean, obviously, uh, I have been diagnosed with ADHD recently, and that is a symptom of that is hyper focus. I don't know if that would be what I would I, I guess I guess uh, the, the say kind of how I build a deck. So so 
this is in every format. This is what I do in modern. This is what I do in standard. This is what I do in historic. This is what I do in um, Islander, commander, Islander. Islander, whatever. Is I pick an I pick an idea. Like it, it, the the hard part maybe is figuring out the idea, right? Is like okay, what do I want to do in commander? It's the hardest thing because I like to be a hipster. Uh, in modern or whatever, it's a little bit easier because it's just like okay, I want to play John. I want to play blue white. It's often why probably I like fair decks more than like hyper synergistic decks. Um, and then I make a pile. And, and, and if it's a, it's a, something else, I'll, I'll like search things that fit that strategy. So I'll like look up graveyard or I'll look up enchantment or I'll look up madness or, you know, whatever that, that thing is reveal the top card of your library. If, if it was doing lantern. So then I like on my phone on deck or like in my room <laughs> or, or on arena, we'll just put every single card I could ever want in that deck into a giant pile. And right now, if you look at my desk and I think I actually could even do this using the power of, Ooh, can I do that with the power of. OBS. multiple cameras no that didn't work okay i'll just pick it up uh if you can look at my desk there are hundreds of okay. little piles <laughs> on yep. my desk of decks over here this is a nethroid deck that i'm building or not nethroid this is a valdrox deck that i'm building and you can put that back that was a lot quicker and and then it's just sculpting it out of the pile of cards uh, is 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 kind of the closest and, and sculpting yeah, kind of into chisel, like you chisel yeah, down right from your where it's like okay yeah. okay let's let's go through this let's write which cards are good which cards are important which cards are wish list which cards are kind of bad it's kind of very much similar to building a seal deck or building a draft deck um and just like slowly cutting away bad worse and worse cards until you have something that kind of functions and then you go into play testing and you're like okay did this work this card was bad it just sat in my hand or you know oh, this card's really great and i need more of it and then slowly you whittle into a deck that's functional um through through testing once you kind of create that pile and and, and often like i have in the merith deck i built i have like the merith chaff box that's like extra ch merith chaff that like is the stuff that didn't make it into the pile but was close and want to keep around because like if i play a game and merith sucks because you know this card isn't very good and then i can switch it out for something that's better and, and and so like when we actually going back to glenn we did a whole episode on sideboarding is like our third episode and he kind of walked over the deck building strategy called the elephant um, and it's similar, and it, this is for, for a tournament play, which is you have a pile of cards available in your colors, and it's a way to make fair control decks or fair mid-range decks, um, and you have a pile of cards, whatever amount of cards you want available, and then you you play against every matchup you think is in the metagame, and when you're playing against those matchups beforehand, just build the best possible deck in those colors against that matchup. Just Just like sideboard perfectly. If you had a 300-card sideboard, what deck are you building? and make notes of that, right? And like, okay, this worked, this didn't work, this card wasn't that good, this card was good, and just start taking notes on what cards are good and bad in each matchup. And then after playing 20 games against each deck in the format, you can kind of look at the aggregate of which cards were good in every single matchup, which cards were good, amazing in some matchups or bad in other ones, and just find the aggregate and then try and whittle that giant pile down to a 75 most used cards and then take that deck to a tournament. Um, and it's great. It's I love building decks that way. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, so like my process and I think many players process is not too different than the one you're talking about. I mean, I think you come up with an idea, you search the terms you're familiar with. If you have, you know, kind of established knowledge of maybe an archetype or even just certain sets or, you know, you're able to more effectively. But the thing that's different about your brain and where I think I'm so impressed and sort of stunned by it is you don't 
you're able to stay inspired by the idea long enough to finish it quickly. Because I'll have the exact same instinct and I'll search the same terms and I'll put the same list together, but it'll take me like a week to finish one deck because I don't find it interesting after like a few minutes. If I like stall, if I hit like one roadblock, I'll just be like, eh, and then I kind of drop it and I move on to something else. And so it's really hard for me to stay excited by the idea of building any deck. I think speaking about the other thing you mentioned though, the whole concept of what's good and what matchup. I mean, that's the most fun thing about when you build something that's yours uh, or, or you even take a net deck, I guess, and you play enough matches with it is you do start to figure out like, these cards are kind of useless. What would be good here? Like, what would be helpful? And then, and it's not just a question of, like, this giant bomb sideboard card is good. It's like, this pretty cool sideboard card is really good in my strategy, but is marginally good against the thing I'm playing against. You know, like, I've in, in the Rogues deck that I play in Modern, or in a Historic, I play Cling to Dust now as a two-of in the main deck. Because just having a one-black instant that can effectively cycle, because there's enough things in my deck that fill their graveyard good i can play lower land count that way drawing extra card on my turn makes my fairy vandal better so doing it that way is good being able to gain life is good against the burn matchups and being able to get rid of an uro or or uh any of the you know things that are targeted by dreadhorde arcanist or like they're all kind of good it's not the best card in the world but it's quite good in exactly the strategy i'm playing so it's worthwhile just to play at main deck yeah, and that's a, some of that's like information you get from testing, right? Like every format is going to be different and you want to be able to figure out, oh, this card's bad in this matchup, this card's good. And that's what testing is really helpful. And that's where the elephant method I think is really helpful. As far as just like being able to like do it, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like even, even in modern, I do this, right? Like I, I have the blue white deck and I have John, but those deck boxes are filled to the brim with extra cards that like could be good in those decks. And partially that is just like me not wanting to cut them and then have to put them somewhere else and find them when I need them. Right. Um, so you just keep them in a box. So just yeah. keep them in a box. And that's why like my desk is a giant mess. But uh, yeah, I think, I think for me, it's a lot of like looking at a format, no matter what, what format you're in, kind of thinking a strategy you're going for and slowly just building a deck out of it and, 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 and really looking at like, how and like obviously there's there's the things to look at right like oh how much removal that's like the next level right is okay so i did um i have my pile and now i'm whittling it down i'm cutting bad cards or cards that don't make sense now now the kind of the conversation comes into play of like okay how much removal do i have how much interaction do i have how many threats do i have is this a control deck if it is are my threats you know, do I play card draw over threats? And those threats are like some mitigated ones, like a celestial colonnade, right? Where it's just like, it's always going to be there. Or are some of my card advantage engines threat them that blah, 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 blah. Card advantage engines threat the threats themselves, like a planeswalker um, or um, lingering souls <laughs> for that matter. Um, but, or am I just like being aggressive and everything? My curve is low. Like what is the strategy? And then like that helps dictate which things to get rid of. Um, and then, then the last, and part, I think part of it is like the last thing I've ever done is do lands. Like that's the least important thing to me generally, partially because most mana bases are like built for you already in most formats, you know what your mana base is going to be. Once you figure out what your color matchup is, you get some fetches, you get some shocks, maybe you play some horizon lands. If you're playing a, a higher land count and you don't care about your life total, maybe you play some non horizon lands if you care about your life total, but, um, you just figure out what your mana base is. And then you're probably going to be dictated in modern. I generally stuck to the rule of like two of every color of basic. And then as much fetches as I can get away with. And two of every shock was like my starting I always end point. Up getting greedy and, and, and going stripping down to speaking sort of generally it's, it ends up usually being two basics of the most prominent color, one, each of the others. 
fetches and shocks, some other, like, you know, and, and, and that can really punish you. Um, it can really punish you with, with Path of Exiles and Field of Ruins and Ghost Quarters and things like that. But um, generally speaking, that, that tends to be my strategy. But I think yours is right, Mark. Yeah, I think, I think my thought is always I want to be able to cast any spell in my deck through Blood Moon. And, and t- rarely am I playing like a triple black spell. So like having in John now, mountains are the one rule of thumb that's slightly different. I'll, I'll normally go, I'll be willing to go down to one mountain if I need to, just partially because like if I get Blood Mooned, doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Right. It's, not, right, right, it's right. no longer mitigating against Blood Moon. It's more mitigating against needing to fetch for a color when I'm low on health, or if I get pathed um, and I want to get a mountain, or I get ghost quartered and I want to get a mountain. Like that. That's more when making sure you have at least one basic is important. Uh, but going up to the two, like going up to more than that one, almost always is a concession to Blood Moon and making sure that I can. Um, get those lands if I know I'm playing against the Blood Moon deck early on with fetch lands so that I can cast my spells and make sure that there's no spell in my deck I couldn't cast if I got Blood Booned with the basic lands I have in my deck. Yep. Uh, one one big, uh, almost, an, it's an announcement, and I'm going to announce it. It's announced. Burr, 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 burr. Um, so there's going to be a change to release content schedules at the MMCast podcast and also YouTube channels and streams that we do. Uh, for the last couple months, uh, we've been doing our Commander live stream every Monday. We've been doing the podcast. We would record Tuesday night. The podcast that would then come out sometime between... Uh, or, or would come out as an audio podcast Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, and then at some point on Friday would come out as an edited version. Um, due to a bunch of factors, we're going to mix that up. Uh, <laughs> and then a hot take would come out the following Monday. Uh, now what's going to happen is the live stream is going to be a Twitch exclusive uh, live stream. So we're going to live stream onto my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Cass Wiley. Um, and then those videos will then be posted onto the U channel as a VOD either Wednesday or Thursday, depending on my timing. Um, then the podcast, which we still will be recording on Tuesday nights will be being released on Monday mornings, um, both, uh, and then the audio will be around that time because they're edited together. The reason for that is just uh, the effort on Marshall to get it out that quickly. The editing to get it out it has made it so it kind of comes out late on Friday evenings based on the timeline that we have and ends up that Friday evenings are a bad time to release content on the internet in general. Uh, so the plan is to have it come out on Mondays. Um, that'll be new. Now, if there's hot takes, the the other plan is for those hot takes to now start coming out on Fridays as kind of a new piece of right before the weekend content. Um, so there's going to be a little bit of mix up there. And then there's going to be new content in the middle of the week, which will be the VOD version of, which is the video on demand, I guess is what that stands for. Nice. <laughs> but the, the, nice. Uh, the YouTube version of our live stream, um, non-live, uh, will come out on Wednesdays. Uh, so those will be the new day. So Monday, Wednesday, and some Fridays, there'll be, uh, new content plus every day there'll be a podcast on Monday and then a, a a live stream that evening which will be live commander with me and Ben plus uh, many of the uh, slew of characters and friends that we were able to bring on. <laughs> yes, we're very excited about it and uh, it's been fun to expand our content. It's been super fun actually. I've had a great time doing it and I, I love all the different extra stuff we're doing. One of the things as we mentioned at the beginning of the show is that we have been actually doing this commander boxing league which is a really really cool way to play commander but also to play like limited. It's like sort of a funny idea. It's a somewhat, I don't want to say it's a high cost, uh, like startup cost, because I don't think that's totally correct. I think most players that have played Magic for a long time will eventually buy a box. Yeah, it's 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 weird, right? Because I've had this like discussion with people on the internet a few times. In one way, it's expensive, right? If you're a commander player that yeah. never buys cards, never plays limited, 
and isn't buying a deck, isn't building new decks regularly, uh, it's expensive, right? You you will go from like, I can have just one commander deck and I can play that forever and never have to buy magic cards again. Uh, yes, from that scale, it's expensive. But on a scale of like any other way to play magic, either you're building commander decks or regular, like more regularly than that, or you like play limited more than twice. You like standard, you like modern, you like legacy, you, you know, any other format, pioneer, historic, um, then upfront cost 70 bucks to 100 bucks to buy a box and then every uh two week period you have to add six packs so it's an extra 24 dollars. so it's it's by end of it it's probably around a 200 to 250 dollar way of playing magic um but if you look at most standard decks they're around 200 bucks so it's about the cost of standard plus you own all those cards you, you, yeah i mean like you buy you buy a box i mean like i obviously am not playing it in my deck but like in the box that i opened I got like a foil full art triome that I think is like 20 or 25 dollars. I got like a handful of other cards. Like I don't think probably what I opened in Ikoria was worth the hundred and whatever, 15 or 110 that it cost me to buy. But I'll bet you it was probably worth like 80, 90 bucks. If I like really wanted once the whole experience was done to off sh- offload everything, I could. I could probably make back at least half of what I spent, if not more. It's so okay. it's not like, yeah. you know, and you think about like going to the movies or going to a restaurant, like you're just paying for an experience. That's all this really is. Um, so anyway, it's been really fun though. We've done, we've done, you know, a few weeks of it now. Um, I definitely did the dumb thing with my second packs in terms of monetary. Cause I bought apocalypse, which like was really sweet, but also so useless. And I knew it was going to be worthless. I just like really wanted to do it anyway. Um, but I opened, so I got to look, I played some of those cards last night and they like got me the win. I played life death. How sick was it that I had life death in my, in my freaking limited commander deck? Yep. Really sick. good. You yeah. reanimated a Phyrexian Dreadnought with it, right? Or Nick Phyrexian Gargantua, Gargantua, man. Yeah. Another and that's like Phyrexian, like I feel like that card, even by today's limited standards, is actually totally reasonable. A four-four for six that draws you two cards and loses you two life when it enters the battlefield that's in a single color. Reasonable. Yeah. 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 I was stoked. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's been so I opened Zendikar originally uh and um got tazri so like it was something we have learned especially early on in the in the in the process is the more colors you have the better your deck is going to be now that's i guess true in cdh circles as well to some extent but um the, the at a base level it just lets you play with every good card you get you don't get to the position where like you have a black white commander and all your good cards were in blue um so like you just get to pick the best of the best and you can you can you know i'm playing tazri but i'm like very 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 lightly splashing blue and then mostly the other four colors. So you can even kind of play with how, which colors you want there to be based on what your mana fixing is. But got very lucky. Zendikar Rising in general is very powerful because you get all of the double face lands and they're in some ways their own version of fixing, right? Like it, it it's different than a double land, a dual land, but like the, I'm splashing blue partially off of a bunch of blue double face lands that worst case scenario, if I draw it and I can't, I don't have a blue mana to cast it, I can play as a land, right? That That's something that's kind of cute about them. I mean, Tazri's also like the ultimate version of a five color commander because you can cast Tazri for one color, <laughs> but it allows you yes, to play five yes, colors. Yes, that's like correct, such correct. a stupid, what a stupid, like, and, that's like not fair at all compared to the other commanders. And, and her ability is activatable off of any color combo you have, right? Because yeah. you, you can, it has the, the uh, Scarecrow legendary creature the the two mana endor hybrid one color reaper, reaper, option, reaper, reaper king. king uh hybrid um yeah card sweet so i opened that and then for my second pack uh and so my deck ended up in a weird place where it was like some lands matters cards because you can't avoid it just landfall is really powerful and you just get good stuff like uh 
um, the Phylath and the the Ashaya. Um, then you, I, I have a weird plus one plus one's counter theme that I actually got that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I didn't notice that until like halfway through that just like a lot of cards like care about plus one plus one counters or put them on there. So I have a bunch of those. Um, and then I have party. My commander cares about party. So if I have character creatures with party mechanics on them, they're better. So then for my second set, uh, and it ends up that these packs were actually not that expensive. They're seven bucks a pop. I bought cons and uh, cons of Tarkir, which is one of my favorite sets of all time. So I was really stoked anyways. But the fact that there's warrior tribal, like half of the creatures are warriors for some reason in that set. Um, the Abzan mechanic of Outlast is a plus one, plus one counters tribal uh, mechanic. So it, and it gives everything a buffs if you have plus one, plus one counters on them. And it has fetch lands, which goes with landfall, <laughs> was like kind of next level great. And and it it, it, it paid off. I, the, I got the death touch Outlast, the lifelink, and the first strike. I did not get trample, and I did not get flying. The flying being the one I was most sad about. But the lifelink, uh, Outlast is a cleric. So, so what's her face finds it. Tazri finds it when you activate her ability. Right. So she's it's party tribal. Um, and then I got three fetch lands. Sadly, two of them were both flooded strands. Sadly, because the one of them is foil. <laughs> so I paid for I my mean, packs. I mean, still, like, for, oh, so you can only play one of them? I yeah, mean, that's yeah, you fair. can only play one of them because the commander rules, but I, I wasn't really sad that I opened up a foil flooded strand. But I do think now I own more foil flooded strands than any other foil land that's not a I, that basic. Was, well, that was how it was for me. I had seven of them when I sold all my cards recently. Um, it, 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 let me ask you this. So... With the initial box, you obviously get a lot of multiples. So, like, I think you need to stick with the the hundred, the single, the singleton rule. What would you feel about going forward that in the additional six pack you could play whatever you open? You could play multiple copies if you open in the six. Uh, I think it kind of a. I think it would make my like. I don't like. I think I would. I don't know if I'd like that. Uh, I think that with a hundred cards, the... it kind of changes what the idea of the format is. Uh, it loses a little bit of it. It makes it a little bit just more like sealed league, which has existed for a long time. Uh, two, it has the problem of like eventually cutting cards is going to become harder and harder as this goes on. Right. That's why you end the league eventually. And I would be right. worried of just like, like, yeah, I, I, and I get the problem of like, there's feel bads when you open up your packs that are that like, you don't like what you got. I think on the reverse end of that after week three, especially that just doesn't matter anymore. Like you're only going to be like, you're opening up six packs to get like five cards at most. And even in like right now in my deck, like cutting five cards sounds impossible. Um, yeah, and... it's true. I mean, I definitely, I definitely found that even with the apocalypse cards, cause like that was the one risk of opening apocalypse for me. So just for, for those that like, don't know what I'm talking about. So Brockus is, you know, blue, green, black. He's a big six, six trample. You know, he's from Ikoria. He can mutate from your graveyard. Um, so my whole deck is just like sort of value blue, black, green mutate. I play like, I think I play like 10 or 11 mutate cards. Uh, there's a little bit of a graveyard theme, but not much of it. It's really mostly just playing big beaters and really like beefy spells. Mm -hmm. I have like the Sultai ultimatum. I open Colossification, which is epic. So I can like make my commander a 26, 26 trample, Murder which me. I had the entire game, by the way. And I waited until I had 10 lands so that I could play it and hold open a counter spell. I like was really disciplined, not going for it. Um, but anyway, all that being said, when I was looking for my second packs, I was like, okay, cons has really good stuff in these colors. And like, there are some other gold sets recently, you know, like one of the Ravnica sets that's pretty powerful, but I was like, I want to open something weird. And back in the day, back in the apocalypse invasion days, multicolor sets were not nearly as thematic. They were just like these cards that are pretty good in these multicolors are kind of what you're getting. Mm -hmm. They had some theme, but it was much more just like, we're going to make this card a little more powerful. In it's rarity because it's two colors. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, as well as some of the rares, like I could have opened Phyrexian Arena, I could have opened um, Pernicious Deed. Those were the two that I was like hoping that I opened in rare. There was also the Volver Cycle, which ultimately are not the best creatures, but they're all basically these creatures that come down as like one ones or two twos. But if you pay like five or six in three colors, they're really good. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the black, green, blue Volver is like a six, six flying pay three life regenerate for seven mana, I think, which like pretty solid, like just the re repeatable regeneration in a format where you have a lot of life is pretty solid. Um, Fungal Shambler, Spirit Monger. There's like a lot of pretty good cards. And then the uncommons, you know, the the mutations that make you all the sapling. So I was like, and then and then if the key of it was that there was two commons in my colors that were mana creatures that were non-human. So I was like, probably I'll get one of each. I'll probably get two elves that make colors other than green that I can mutate onto. That's enough of a selling point right there for me. Sure. And of course, I opened three copies of one of those mana creatures and zero of the other one, which was like really frustrating. Yeah, I sure. don't feel bad. You murdered me last night. <laughs> Uh, I will say getting fetch lands at the power level of what they printed cards into Rise of Zendikar was like really great. Uh, Valid code yeah. exploration is not a joke to the extent that in modern, I like am heavily consider adding it to Jund. Like it's an enchantment. It comes into play. It does damage if I draw, like if I get lands off of it, it consistently produce mana advantage with fetch lands. You can hold your fetch land. So on your next turn, you can fetch. And if you get a land, you can play that land to activate it again. Like it's such a good card. It does it's so been, I mean, things. in a few games, you've gotten it out both times, and it's been the most powerful thing I felt like you were doing both times. Yeah, I think it's the best card in my deck. I think, like, by a... And, like, I have, like, some crazy stuff in my deck. I have, like, Phylath. I have, like, a, a, like really cool stuff. But, like, I think that, yeah, Valkyrie Exploration seems to be the most powerful thing I've done. That and uh, Maul of the Skyclaves are the two probably most powerful things that I'm doing. What is Maul of the That's Skyclaves? That's the, the okay. First Strike Flying plus two plus two equipment that attaches as it enters the battlefield. Yeah, I guess I don't really recall that being that good. I murdered you with it <laughs> last game. <laughs> uh, there was a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, just well, partially because partially in this format, something that is important is that evasion to the extent that 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 card is so good, not even because of the plus two plus two bonus it gives, but just giving flying that I'm adding uh, moving into my next game or next week. I'm going to add the one mana target creature gets flying, attach it for free the first time you okay. play it. Equipment yeah, yeah. from from Rise of Zendikar because just like evasion is so important in this format, um, especially in my deck where I don't have a like way to go above in the top like Carson was playing an actual Phylath deck and he got to the point where like he could have flung a 1818 plant token if I wasn't able to like get him by killing it while he was tapped out <laughs> uh, yeah. and I didn't have the ability to get rid of your giant 2424 that punched me in the face with flying and uh, I died it was sick you're a murderer. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think I think one of the cool things about de the deck building process there is the metagaming. I think that's one of the things I really like about the format is just like thinking, just like I don't even know what packs I'm going to go. I was thinking about opening up Dragon's Maze because there's uh, Shocklands in that set and just like gold cards are what's good in that set. But then I looked at the commons and uncommons and it's terrible. Yeah, I forgot how terrible that's, that I, set I think is. so much more of what the additional packs you're opening are about. When you open the box, it's all about the rares because like you figure you're going to get the majority of them. When you're opening six packs of something, like you can't really be looking at the rares. I mean, you look and you cross your fingers, you might get one, but like especially the mythics, no way. The chances of getting a specific mythic out of six is so unlikely. Oh yeah, commons are what you need to look at, and maybe uncommons, but commons are really the key. The the Abzan bolster cards were more of and the warrior creature type being just on random things were more of the incentive to opening up cons to me than any of the rares like fetch lands or like I got Savage Knuckleblade. I'm playing him because he's a warrior, which like I didn't even know until I opened him and I was like, oh, you're a warrior. <laughs> that card's sweet. Uh, yeah, but like, 
I like opened up the soldier at last guy. I'm probably not going to play him. Like there's like, there's just like cards that are just like mediocre something that just guys uh, and, and, and listeners, uh, there is a, are all of our deck lists. The deck lists are linked below. So, so, uh, and uh, Michael's is down there as well. Um, and maybe, uh, Tappy will let us post there as our Carson's and other people. So, so, so we'll, we'll post all the deck lists in that we can convince the league members in, uh, to post into the thing. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's definitely been like a pretty fun experience getting to combine the two sets. I'm really looking forward to my next set. Um, I haven't decided what I'm going to buy yet, but uh, it's definitely just like a like a very fun way to play Magic. But it does bring to mind this idea of deck building and how deck building for each format is a different experience. Um, the format that I have spent the most time building very, very recently in is Historic. Um, now, I know we've talked about Historic on here a decent amount, but for those that are listening and are sort of trying to figure out of What's their entry point? What's the metagame like? What should they understand about it? I think it might be fun for a few minutes for us to kind of talk about what to expect and sort of what the heart of the format is and how you attack it as a deck builder because it's pretty cool in terms of brewing at the moment. There's there's definitely very, very interesting opportunity to come up with cool stuff. I've always liked Historic. And I mean, obviously, earlier this year, we argued the whole episode of like Pioneer is dead, Historic raises his king, right? Like where it was... Pioneer is always going to have trouble competing with Historic just in the long run, even if they had every single card that is available in Pioneer because Historic is going to have a burial rights in it <laughs> and like other yeah. cards. Right. But like that, that was kind of the, the the starting position. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that, that goes. And it's been an interesting ride. Now, recently, uh, last week, Omnath uh, was banned and then they took stuff off the restricted list and moved it to the ban list. But whatever, those weren't legal at the moment for play anyways. And then the unbanned Burning Chamisar and you've been playing a ton of rogues in Historic. So now that that banning has happened, how have you seen the metagame shift and how you've been playing black, white, black, blue rogues for the majority of this time? How has that deck changed in the metagame? Because I know at one point people thought that was actually going to be the best deck, uh, which in standard, I think it is one of the best decks. But wh- where, how do you feel about where the metagame has shifted now, um, now that it's gone? Yeah, I mean, there's been like a handful of, you know, like a handful of different things that have happened since I've started playing in the format that have changed it. I mean, I think you're always going to see people leaning towards just playing the most powerful things in the most colors they can. That tends to be like a hallmark of a lot of formats until they get to that like super, super, super hyper, hyper focused linear strategy mode. And there are some of those decks that that do that. I think probably the most focused deck and has been the most focused deck for a little while is the Goblins deck. Mm-hmm. Um it, there's a couple versions of it, but the key of it is basically Skirk Prospector combined with Goblin Lords um, and then Muxus, which once it comes down, very often hits things that give your creatures haste and allow you to attack for like 30 in the turn that Muxus comes down. Mm-hmm. There is a turn three win with Muxus on the play where you go turn one Skirk Prospector, turn two land uh, the instigator that makes you a one, one and then turn three land. Now you've got three goblins, three lands and uh, a skirt prospector. So you sack all three, tap your three lands, play Muxus. He hits a bunch of stuff and then you go nuts. Um, it is, it's Are not there specific things he has to hit or it's just, it's just, he gets, he's just going to get so much things that you're probably not losing. Or is there like a, he hits like like Muxus sometimes when they, when they do a Muxus, you can get lucky. And so sometimes when it happens, you have to cross your fingers like, a, they won't get the haste version of this, so they're not going to be able to just kill me this turn. I'll have a chance to respond. Or sometimes, like, Muxus doesn't hit the right goblins. Sometimes Muxus only hits, like, you know, the crappy ones. No lords or something like that. But very often, Muxus will hit, like, an instigator, a lord, and, like, a uh, if you get Cranko. Like, yeah, if you get Cranko, Goblin Chieftain, and then just other good goblins, you're yeah. you're just... Or, like, yeah, you're just, just so far ahead that... 
it's consistent is the other thing. Like it's one color. Everything is kind of good. Even without him, you know, Cranko can just come down and just win on its own. Like if you don't have a way to interact with Cranko mm-hmm. within a couple of turns, Cranko just wins the game. So that's, that's like a very, very linear, very simple strategy. It's, it's the kind of thing that if they go for it and you have a counter spell for Muxus on that turn, they've sacked their whole board. You just win. Okay. Often. Um, you know, I play two main deck, uh, is vengeance. And I have for quite a while because there's like a number of decks that it's good against this deck. It's great against there's a merfolk deck. People play it's good against there's a, a red wizards deck. People play it's good against, but that goblins deck is definitely one of the key decks in the format. Um, there's a burn deck. It's there's kind of two of them, I would say, but like, like every format will have kind of a mono red variant. Um, the one people play the most in this format is the wizards one. So it's playing like Gitu lava runner, it's playing Grim Lava Mancer. It's playing the Prowess guy. Soulscar Mage. Have with her. Soulscar Mage. And it plays, you know, Light at the Stage. And then it plays four copies of Wizards Lightning. It plays four Skewer the Critics, four Lightning Strike, Shock. Sure. You know, it's just like taking cards. advantage of Wizards Lightning as a Lightning Bolt because you're playing that many Wizards. Yeah, Bone Crusher Giant. It's 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 really good. It's a really good deck. It's very very aggressive and consistent. Again, it's mono red. There's a there's an Elves deck that's really good, quite consistent. Is that the one that's playing Giganta? Or is that more new tech that I'm looking at up here? Gigantha, yeah. Well, so in one in in best of one, um, you there a lot of these decks if they're able will play a companion just because like it's not hard to play a companion. So Gigantha is Gigantha is the that's the card that those decks play. Um, just because why wouldn't they in best of one? They just get access to like having a five drop when they need it. Right, right. If all, all you're playing is one mana one drops, and who cares? Yes, exactly. It's all just yeah. So. So that's like, those are like some of the key decks. There's a sacrifice deck that a lot of people like to play. Um, you know, plays Mayhem Devil, plays Woe Strider. It plays uh, the Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Um, all those cards. It's kind of what you expect. Corvold. Yeah, 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 exactly. It plays it plays the Witches Oven. There's a Gruul deck. There's a Gruul deck. You know, it's just kind of Gruul aggro. It's, it's much better now that they have access to, uh, what's his name again? Burning Tree Emissary. Um the the printing of Thoughtseize into the format was definitely pretty interesting. Thoughtseize changed things so that all of these like black based decks, whether it's like the Dreadhorde Arcanist, um, you know, sacrifice decks with like Kroxa have access to just Thoughtseize now. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like, you know, you have these four color decks that play like I guess they're five color decks that play like Omnath and they play Uro and they play Lotus Cobra and they play Thoughtseize and they're just kind of good stuff decks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like because Omnath is only suspended, your ability to play Lotus Cobra, Omnath and Uro in the same deck is like <laughs> just insane. Like you definitely just get rolled by that sometimes. Right. Um, and, you know, like you have to be able to interact. So those are all kind of key things. There's a there's a few really fun and sort of interesting decks I've seen people play. There's a Soul Sisters deck a lot of people like to play. There's a an auras deck that people will play. You have selfless savior and you also have the, the one white enchantment creature that can sacrifice to give a creature protection from the color of your choice. on the turn and curious obsession that, 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 that plays Luris because everything's cheap. Um, like the aura, the aura guy, uh, what's, uh, the one that you draw a card whenever you cast an aura spell, it gets plus two plus two for every aura on it. I can't think of the name of it right now. Mm-hmm. Core spirit dancer. Um, that deck is pretty popular. So there's a there's a whole variety of decks. It does not feel like the format is homogenous. Like everything's playing, everybody's playing the same things. In terms of, I think the key things that people are doing that you want to like remember are in the format. You know those cards we mentioned right at the top, like like Uro Omnath. Those are a lot of the most powerful cards in the format. So remember, people will do that. There's a lot of like real grindy value oriented decks. Uro is like that. Croaks is like that. 
Saltai Midrange, three color sacrifice. Like all the sacrifice decks are basically that, right? Yeah. The four color Yorion yeah, deck. But the thing, the cool thing about it is there's there's a bunch of monocolor decks. There's also a bunch of like four and five color decks. There's really good aggro options. There's like a mono black aggro deck that plays Phyrexian Obliterator as its top end. There's mono blue tempo, like the one from Standard that Autumn did so well with. That's that's very good in this format. Um, there's still a Golos deck people play. There's like some mono green or like two color um, big mana artifact decks that want to like ramp into Ugin with like Mind Stones and, and uh, you know, they want to play Karn and, and Nissa and things like that. Those are pretty cool. Um, yeah, but I mean, there's like a pretty developed format. It's a lot of different decks, and I don't actually feel like I play the same deck all the time. There was a minute, like three, two, three months ago, when I was playing Goblins a lot, and it does feel quite good, but it feels super fragile, so it actually doesn't feel like the deck to beat at the moment. Um, I think being prepared for those big four-color decks feels kind of like the thing you have to be ready for. The power level is so high on those decks. So you were doing you were doing really well with your rogues list for a while there. Would you say that it's still positioned really well, or do you think maybe the metagame has moved in a way that it's less good? Are, are, are you a deck, I guess, yeah, answer that, and then I have, I have the next question. But I, it's not a deck that necessarily needs to take advantage of what your opponents are doing. It's powerful enough that you can win a lot of games. Um, I think that if I committed like six hours, like I sat down, I was like, I'm going to make mythic right now. I'd be able to do it because I consistently am able to grind my way higher and higher. I'm like right now, I think I'm like right now, like diamond level three. I got all the way up to like diamond level one, like four games away from mythic last season. And I didn't really grind that hard. I was just playing periodically. So it's really good. I mean, the printing of the new one, three flash guy for two that, you know, mills two and ever a rogue attacks. He's really good in the deck. Like he pushes the deck way over the top. Um, the new X three flying lifelink death touch guy, uh, for three is quite good. You know, you have good control, good counter spells, the new, the new removal spell, destroy target creature or planeswalker CMC two or less that also has kicker. That card's valuable. Um, I think it's a really good deck. I mean, I, I, you shared the list. I've done really well with it. I curious obsession is great. I was going to bring that up. So, so, uh, for those who don't know, uh, so the list is on our Patreon, but it's there for free. So if you go to patreon.com slash the MM cast, you can see the rogues deck list. If you're interested there, I think something that we're going to start doing more often is just posting deck lists for free on our Patreon as a non tier based, uh, thing. So anyone can go check it out. Um, and so you can find it there. Also, uh, just since we're in the world of patron shoutouts, check out our patron if you're there and you want to donate. Obviously, appreciate it. One thing you do get that's really cool is you get an early release of the episode raw feed. That actually will come out at the same time it's come out every week, regardless of the changes. So that'll still come out every Wednesday. Uh, there'll be a uh, audio-only um uh, Patreon exclusive, and normally there's a lot of cool content. So, so for instance, there's about 10 minutes every episode at the beginning that me and Ben are making a point to talk about not magic stuff, plus some magic stuff. We had a whole conversation today about uh, Ben's favorite anime from back in the day. If you want to know what that is, you're going to have to find out, partially because I'm in a anime-based costume at the moment. Uh, last week, I think we talked about chips, maybe. Yes, we uh, chips are like candy bars or fast food or yeah we've, we've like ranked a bunch of different uh, uh food stuff things uh um, food items and so definitely check it out it is like a cool conversation plus you get swear words and all the weird stuff that happens uh and if it wasn't included ben had a whole like five minute conversation directly to the camera that i wasn't here for that you get to get access to um and if you if they did leave it in that's some of the content you can expect um so definitely check that out check out the patreon patreon.com slash the mm cast uh if you're on youtube subscribe like all that stuff if you're uh and make sure to check out all the things we've talked about on the schedule um anything else for this episode mr bateman yeah i think maybe before we go um just to kind of finish the sort of conversation about historic and the introduction to it 
I think because this podcast came from a modern point of view, we can just quickly reference what the best version sort of of the best, maybe like five or 10 things you do, the best card version of what things in modern are in historic. So like, I think starting with a cantrip, um, opt is the best cantrip. It's the thing people do in this format. Like you don't have serum visions or any of those other really good ones. You see a lot of blue decks play opt. The best disruption um, is definitely Thoughtseize. We, that's a really good card. <laughs> it's super solid. We don't have Fatal Push. Um, that one I talked about, which is called Blood Chief's Thirst. That card's really solid. Um, in terms of other mono black, uh, Eliminate's pretty good. Those are those are both like pretty sound cards. I was going to ask Counterspells. Counterspells next. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So Drown in the Lock is played. It's pretty solid. Um, Drown is a, is a totally totally good card it obviously is played in the correct like the right decks but it's definitely good i mean drown is there's a lot of ways to take advantage of it um lofty denial is really good they play that in the mono blue tempo deck i played in my deck spirits plays it i think there's not like a really good two mana counter spell people are playing you don't have just like the one people play the people play the cycling one you know blue blue one uh counter target spell you can cycle it for two yeah mystical dispute is is really good um i play i see it a lot less than i used to I definitely feel like it's not as as ubiquitous as it was, but it's, it's still really, really good. Um, the other cantrip that's played a ton is Growth Spiral. That card's played like crazy. Like people play Growth Spiral, and, like that you'll see you see that if blue green is represented and they like don't they don't like leave it up. That's like you see that just constantly in the format. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, as far as burn goes, shock probably is the most common. I would say. I think all those other ones are a little more deck specific. Even lightning strike is, I think shocks the one you see a lot of decks play shock. It's good enough in the format gets a lot done. Do you, would you say you like the format more modern versus historic, uh, not having access to stuff like Fatal push path and lightning bolt. I don't notice that much of a difference to be honest. Okay. I mean, like, you know, in the deck I play, for instance, I have good enough answers to the things that would be problematic for me. I guess like maybe the thing like like not being able to just like path an Uro like like if I could path your Uro when it hit the battlefield. No, see even that's not good because you get a land and then another land. I wouldn't even do that. Yeah, I don't even think it really matters that much. Okay. I, like, you know, I guess it'd be nice to be able to path like an obliterator, but I have ways to kill obliterator that I don't really care about. Um, I'm trying to think in like what are the other things that you do? The elf, Leonard Elf, that's the best. Elvish Mystic, I guess. I guess it's called Lenor Elf in this format. Um, yeah, Lenor Elf is, is legal. Yeah, because of Dominaria. Yeah, that's that's the best, like, you know, mana creature other than Lotus Cobra, which is newer. What about, so So you think more people are playing uh, Lenor Elf than Goose? I, I would say that I see significantly more Elves than Gooses. There is one really cool deck you can play. It's a combo deck that, that came up pretty recently with the printing of the new... A two-one wizard that copies something. Your next spell. Oh yeah, I've I've heard of this. So it's like this really interesting deck where basically you neoform away a creature. Your neoform gets rid of a goose or an elf. It gets a dual caster mage into play. It copies the neoform, um, and you then make a million copies. You get all your dual caster mages. You get all of your glass pool mimics. So now you have twelve dual caster mages that all have come into play one bigger because of neoform and your last creature you get is the one four or one three defender all your creatures have haste uh, you attack that turn for like 24 um, it can kill you on turn three it's a pretty cool deck if you don't have a piece of interaction what i found playing against it is if you can wait to kill the thing that gives all their creatures haste 
um, they can't kill you that turn. And so if you have like a response or like a wrath or something, great. If you can't do that, then you have to figure out a way to either counter the Neoform or just keep their creatures off the board. If they don't have a creature in Neoform, they can't win. So if you kill everything early, the deck is totally weak. Um, but it's really cool. I mean, it's like, it's a super sick, I, like the, the fact that you can do that in this format is really awesome. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I am, I'm, I'm excited to get back into, into the arena magic now that Omnath is gone. So, uh, I'm really hyped and hopefully, hopefully this has been kind of like helpful for people. I think that the one, I guess, last question we have is, is mana bases in, in historic versus modern. Yeah. What, what, what are, what does it look like, right? Without fetches, without shocks, how does, how does one kind of attack the format, um, without those resources? The mana base is pretty clean. If you're playing multiple colors, like if you're playing three or four colors, um, definitely playing, uh, what's it called? Fabled Passage is key. That's like a really important one. A lot of people, a lot of decks will play four copies of Fabled Passage. Um, you have access to now the flip lands from the new set, and they're all great. Those are really, really, really good lands. You have access to check lands, and you have access to shock lands. So the combination of like Fabled Passage, check lands, shock lands, and also now flip lands, there's enough. Like there, there just are like the, there's, there's like, I don't really, I don't play against decks where I'm like sitting there and I'm like, okay, he's got to draw and hit his exact drop here. Otherwise you can't do the thing he's doing. And if he doesn't, I'm going to be able to tempo him out. But I feel like that never happens. They always hit their colors. The mana bases seem to be pretty silky smooth. And if you go, if you go to goldfish and you look at their historic database of their most played decks, the top decks are three color, three color, four color. That's, that's three of the top four. Right. So the mana bases are clearly yep, not a problem. Yep, yep, yep. It's, it's pretty easy. Uh, would, I mean, I guess if the, if it, that many are those color combos, do you think it's almost the opposite problem? Like the lack of a blood moon, the lack of a good um, wasteland variant or 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 color screw mechanic makes it so the format is too easy to splash all the colors you could ever want. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. I think I think probably I think probably having a greater access to something to hose mana bases would make the format a little bit less little more competitive i mean i don't think it'd be super sweet if it was in red because then just like goblins burn wizards rakdos sacrifice all the like red based decks would just get that much better and they're already kind of obnoxious to play against i already don't love the red deck i actually find i actually already find that the red wizards deck is one of my least favorite matchups it's really consistent and they're more creature based with their damage than you would expect so there's a lot of like haste it's just that there's yeah i mean i guess the deck i'm playing doesn't gain life that well but if you look at most of the top ones uro's the main life gain card that's the key like that's the thing that keeps you alive against those decks but other than that there's not that many like really good ways to gain life early um so those red decks can be pretty obnoxious so i think if they had access to a color hoser like blood moon i don't think that'd be that sweet okay okay yeah i think i think it's i think it's interesting i think like how to produce a color hoser that isn't unfun. And like, I think honestly, maybe the best answer is like something like price of progress. I don't know if this makes the mono red problem any better. Uh, but like stuff like that at least offers the benefit of, um, like punishing people for that many lands and letting people go down. And, but maybe you don't need it. Maybe the format's like just good enough that like there's a variety that you don't need to go against. But if every deck is four color, that, that I think is, is a sign generally of an unhealthy format, right? Like that's one of the worst standards ever. Multiple of them were ones where four color decks were the best. 
Uh, Agreed. Yeah. And and so if 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 historic is in that space, maybe that's a problem. But maybe it's just not. And it's just like there's a reason to be in every color combo, and then you're 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 better off. Cool. Yeah. I highly recommend it, guys. It's it's a super fun format. I've had a great time playing it. It's very accessible. It doesn't feel overpowered. And uh, Arena is set up in such a way that getting in and playing one of those like mono red type of decks, if you wanted to just like grind, because that's the that's the coolest thing about Arena. It's the thing I like so much. I'll sit there. I'll power through, let's say, twelve games of historic, like like best of one. Maybe takes me forty minutes. Let's say 35, 40 minutes. By the end of it, I've got like 7,000 gold or something like that, or maybe not quite that much. Maybe it's 5,000, 4,000, but like that's like four or five packs. You just tur- you can just immediately turn those into four or five packs. All you have to do is just play games. You win some, you lose some, you play some good games, you just grind away and you just keep getting packs. You just keep filling your wild cards to get the cards you want. You have to do it for a little while, but it's pretty fast and pretty fun and pretty easy, and it, you don't have to spend much. If you, if you buy like a few packs to get started, the other thing I can tell you guys is they offer like the uh, three free packs thing of, for all the new sets. It's generally speaking, like play M21 or like play Akoria or whatever the, whatever the thing is. It's like on, usually on the back of those uh, tokens you get. And if you just look online, a lot of those codes, a lot of the codes that they're put out are available. And sometimes the ones from the previous sets or even the set before that don't expire. And they don't expire right away. If you enter them, you still just get the packs. So if you guys are trying to get into Arena, I mean, I can't guarantee that's going to work. And it's obviously not like the thing that they that, that were supposed to be promoting because I don't know if that's allowed or not, but like look online, no, no, try think, old yeah. codes. Sometimes they work. All those old codes are meant to be like something people can get. So I think that's fine. It's 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 yeah, I think that that's OK to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I at one point I had a friend get on and they were like, how can I get into this? And they entered in six sets worth of codes and they got 18 packs. And they just opened 18 packs. That's en- opening 18 packs is like enough to get started. Yep. That'll that'll build you a deck. Right, 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 right. So all right. So I think I think that is it for the, this episode. Thanks so much, uh, our patrons. Thanks so much, our listeners. Thanks so much, Marshall, for editing all of this mess of a goodness. Um, uh, thank you, everyone. Now, just last shout-outs. You can follow me at Cass Wiley on everything, from Twitch to Instagram to Twitter. If you want to see what costumes I've been wearing every day, go to Instagram. That's where you get the, all of the pictures. Uh, ben is at Ben Bateman Media or at Ben Bateman Streaming on Twitch, which is Ben Bateman Streaming on Twitch, Ben Bateman Media everywhere else. Yeah. And you're, you're streaming around twice a week at this point on, on Twitch. So definitely worth following. I've slowed down a little uh, with everything with he being here in Seattle and like doing music. Uh, I've been doing a little bit less of it, but yeah, I mean, I I'm definitely still doing some of it. So go check it out. Wednesday nights tend to be my, that's, that's the main night. Okay, cool. And then, and then make sure to hit that follow, subscribe and like button. Make sure to post comments below. How do you build a deck? How, how, what is your deck building strategy? We'd love to hear it. All right. Thanks everybody. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.